Today we're concluding our series that we've been calling SOS, God, I Need Your Help. And throughout this time, we've been pinpointing different topics that when they come up in our lives often require us to call out to God. So today we're going to be concluding with the topic of friendship. So I have Jacob Gonzalez with me. Uh, Jacob is our young adults pastor. He's been coming to this church since he was about four years old. Um, Him and his wife, Bianca, have been married almost five years now. Um, He is a diehard sports fan and loves to play golf. And fun fact, he's my younger brother. So I'm going to try and be serious up here, okay? Uh, But today he's going to talk to us about friendship, and he's a good friend. Um, He's going to tell us about some of his friendships and then some advice he has for us of those people that we build those relationships with. All right, thank you. So I'm gonna try to keep it real brief. Uh, I don't. I'm trying to look for my timer up there to make sure I don't go over. But yeah, so I guess I'll just share kind of my own personal journey um, in in kind of determining friendships in my life. And I guess for me personally, um, I grew up in church. Didn't always live for Jesus. Uh, didn't really care a lot about it, honestly. And during the time that Pastor Benson and Don had first. Uh, came became pastors here is right when I was going into youth group so there really wasn't a youth pastor and then there really wasn't a uh, youth group we kind of went through pastors for the first few years that pastor was here and uh, so I didn't really come to church started hanging out with different people that I played football with and I was always and this is a lot for you youth here because I feel like a lot of us maybe not but youth people pay attention but uh I remember kind of, you know, thinking, okay, I won't, I won't become like my friends and they they may do this. They may act this way, talk this way, live a life like this, but that's not going to be me. Like they're just people that I hang out with. And then as life kind of goes on, you know, one day I'm at UTA and 19, 20 years old and I'm in a fraternity and, um, hanging out with my friends, partying with my friends, doing all this stuff that I told myself at 13, 14 years old that I would never do, uh, that they would never influence me. I was always that person that I was like, my friends won't influence me. I'm going to influence them. But the more I hung around them, the more, you know, I became the way they were. And probably around 20, 21 years old, uh, close to the time that I started liking Bianca, I was like, you know, hey, I got to, I got to, you know, if I'm going to live for Jesus, you know, I need to be obedient to Christ. Like I need to actually start trying to progress in my relationship with him. I can't just keep telling myself like it doesn't matter, you know, live however you want. I got to, you know, start growing in my obedience and I kept thinking about what pastor always says is, you know, you're the sum of the five people you spend the most time with. And then Bianca would always start telling me, you know, hey, you know, uh, bad character corrupts good company. And I started thinking, okay, well, if I'm not progressing in all these areas of my life, I'm not moving forward. I'm not being the person I need to be, the person God called me to be. Um, why? And the more I thought about it, I was like, well, all the people I'm hanging out with, they don't believe in Jesus. I got friends that don't even believe God exists. I got friends who do, but don't really care. And the people that I'm spending the majority of my time with don't live for Jesus. And so just kind of real quick, three, I guess, three things that I kind of went through in life was the first step that I thought about with friendships was I need to um, ask myself, is this person helping me or hindering me? And if they're hindering me, then do I love them more or do I love God more? And if they're keeping me from where I need to be and who I need to be, um, am I allowing that to supersede my love for God? And so that was kind of like, okay, I love God and who I want to be in God more than I love them. So that may mean I need to kind of move them out of my life. And then the second part was, oh, we all think, oh, it's hard to get rid of friends. We love them so much. We care so much about them. But then I thought to myself, you know, if I believe in Jesus and I believe Jesus gives us life and love and peace and joy. And, you know, if I believe what the Bible says, then the opposite side of that is if you don't believe in Jesus, you know, you're dead in your sin. 
And I started thinking to myself, hey, everybody I'm hanging out with is dead in their sin. And how does someone who's dead in their sin love me the way I'm supposed to be loved according to the Bible? How do they encourage me the way they're supposed to encourage me? How do they uplift me? How do they bear my burdens? And then even more so, how does someone pray for me if they don't even believe in Jesus? And so it's kind of that second part was like, okay, if this person doesn't know Christ, they don't know the love of God, and they're not going to love me the way I need to be loved, especially to push me to growth. And then the kind of the last part that really got me was determining, okay, if I really love my friends and I really say I care about them, it's better that I leave them and separate myself for them for a while so they can see me grow. Because I think a lot of times you get like, you start living for Jesus or you want to change your life and no one sees you change, but you want to change the people around you. So it's like, Hey, I I live for Jesus now guys, but I'm going to still drink with y'all. I'm going to still come smoke with y'all. I'm going to come do whatever y'all do. I'm going to talk the way you guys talk. I'm going to go where you guys go, but Hey, you should love Jesus. Like that just to me made no sense. I was like, no, if, if I love them, they need to see Christ changing me. And for that to happen, I got to separate myself from them from a time or period to start progressing in my relationship so they could see that happen for me. And so then I kind of got to the last point where I was like, okay, I've done all these things. I've realized all this stuff. This is what I need to do. And it was like, okay, now you can't be a coward and you got to tell your friends, this is what's happening. So I went to my, the guys that I was closest with and I told them, Hey, you know, I, I want to live for Jesus. I want to be obedient to God and I need to progress in my relationship. And the more time I spend around you guys, I'm not going to do that. And, you know, I don't dislike you guys or hate y'all, but you know, I got to look out for what God has for me and where I want to go. And most of them were, you know, real cool about it. Cause I feel like you don't want to be that person that just disappears for like five years. And then one day people see you, they're like, Oh, it's because I found Jesus. And they're like, well, that guy was a jerk for five years. He didn't even talk to me. That's not going to help you witness to them, you know? So it's like, I wanted them to know, hey, when you don't see me come around as much anymore, it's because I've decided that I want to live for Jesus and you're hindering my life, not helping it. And then also because I want to eventually, you know, be able to pour back into your life. And without that separation, I'm not going to grow. And so that kind of went down for me. And then just recently, uh, one of my one of my best friends in life, we've been like best friends since fifth grade. I had kind of told him about all this and he was like, all right, man, well, you know, I really don't believe in God, but like, I respect what you're doing. Like, you know, cool. Like, I hope it makes you happy. I was like, all right, cool. And so then like a year or two later go by and I'm like, hey, man, like come with me to church. This is what I'm doing at church. Like, ah, that's not for me. And I'm like, okay, whatever. And the time keeps going by and, and maybe like uh, two, two, three weeks ago, my, one of my buddies got married and they had like a bachelor party for him, but I didn't go because I was like, I'm not going to go. There's nothing there for me. And the, my other friend called me. He's like, man, we missed you so much. Like, why weren't you there? And I was like, well, I'm not going to go out and party and drink with you guys. Like, that's not what I'm trying to do. And uh, he's like, well, we were just talking about how much we miss you. And I was like, oh, okay. He's like, well, what have you been up to? And I kind of explained to him all the stuff I've been doing at church. He's like, man, I've never heard you sound so happy and, and so, like, at peace with everything and, and so determined to do certain stuff. And I was like, yeah, bro, you know, I'm just trying to live for Jesus. Like, what else can I say? Like, I'm just trying to grow. And he's like, hey, well, I know you, you know, you invited me to your services and, and class and, and I never came. And he just recently moved away, which is the craziest part of the whole story is that the whole time he lived here, he didn't want nothing to do with God. Then he moves away, calls me, tells me all this. And it's like, hey, will you think on Wednesdays or Tuesdays, I could just give you a call during my lunch break and you could just tell me what you're talking about in class that week. Like, you could just share with me, like, what you are talking about. And I was like, yeah, of course. But to me, it's like if I would have never separated myself from him and, and, and taken a step back to how much time I spent with him, I would have never changed. I would have never progressed. I would have never became who, you know, who God called me to be. And he would have never saw that change in me. And then everything I would ever tell him would just be void. Like, oh, you're just one of those Christians that talks about how you live for Jesus, but you live for the world. Like, you're just another poser out there. And I didn't want to be that for my friends. 
And so that's just kind of, I guess, I don't know what else to say. Is that everything? Yeah, choose your friends wisely because they'll determine the direction and quality of your life, especially for you youth out there. Friends do influence you. They do impact your life way more than you think they do. And the more time you spend around people, the more you become like them. So be around people who love Jesus. Yeah, that's great. That's Let's it. thank Jacob for sharing with us. Yeah. Thank you all. All righty. Hey, thank you, Jacob, for sharing your story and your transparency. Hey, hasn't Amanda done an incredible job with all the interviews, working with different personalities, and, and, uh, and again, getting up here and talking is difficult, so helping people navigate on what part of their story to tell and, and even kind of help coaching them on how to tell it, and so Amanda, great job. Well, hey, as she said, we are in our last week of the series, SOS, um, by the way, Pastor and Don, send their love. They say hi, they're out of town this weekend, and he'll be back next week starting a brand new series uh, called The Journey, so we're excited for that series to come up. Well, by the way, one last time, an SOS is simply a distress signal that we send out when we need help with something, and this week, we're, we're saying, God, help me with my friends. You know, it's so funny when you talk about friendship, it doesn't feel like a very spiritual topic uh, or a topic that maybe a lot of people need to hear. But can I tell you, there's not a month that goes by that I don't have a conversation with somebody that tells me they need a meaningful friend in their life. So today, although this may for some of you not feel like a very spiritual topic, it's very spiritual and friendships are very powerful in our life. So let's talk about them. We're going to open our Bibles to two scriptures today. John chapter 15, uh, verse 12 and 13. John 15, 12 and 13. And then we're also going to look at Proverbs 17, 17. And before I read John 15, just to give you a, a little bit of context here. John was one of the 12 disciples, and he was actually the writer of this book. Um, he, uh, he was often referred to as John the Beloved. Um, and that was referred to by his friends. He referred to himself that way. And Jesus, even at one point, referred John as somebody who was dearly loved by Jesus. There's so much to be said about John and specifically the relationship between Jesus and John. They had a very close relationship. Uh, they were went through many things, through the thick things, through the thin things of life. And during the end of Jesus's life, this is what brings us to John 15. This is some of the last things that Jesus said. Here's what Jesus says. He says in, in verse 12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friend. You are my friends if you do whatever I command. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my father, I've made known to you. Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend loves at all times. A brother is born for a time of adversity. Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for your incredible word. We pray that you would have your way with us. We love you so much. Let your word cut to our heart. And God, let your Holy Spirit speak to us during this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Did you say a big amen this morning? Amen. So here's some things that we can learn from this really short passage. Number one, the first thing we can learn is everyone needs a friend. Everyone needs a friend. As humans, 
The way that Jesus designed us, the way that God hardwired us together, we're hardwired with a need to be loved. And God provides this love that we need many different ways. And one of the ways that he provides this love that we need is found in the scripture that we read. He provides part of his love to you and I through what scriptures calls friends. See, God created and he commanded biblical friendship as a way to deliver his love to us. We see in the scripture that Jesus and John shared a very special kind of friendship that this love passed through. It's in this kind of friendship that we find a stream of love from God to us. And the love that the Bible says loves at all times, through all things, through hard things, through easy things. This kind of friendship that the Bible talks about, biblical friendship, this is not like we're buddies. That's not the kind of friendship that this is talking about. I don't know about you. I got a lot of buddies. You got a lot of buddies. Some of you got a lot of work buddies. You got neighborhood buddies. You got sports buddies. These are not the kind of buddies that God is talking about. Friendship is different than buddyship. I just made a new word. I love making up new words. By the way, I have another new word for you later on the message, so hang on tight. I know you can't wait for it. There's two times we need a friend. First, for the fun stuff. We need friends for the fun stuff. Why? Because friends know how to celebrate just right with you. When you have walked through life with friends and you have struggled through hard things with friends and they have been there with you through hard things, they have They have watched you want to give up on things before. They have watched you cry over things. And they have watched you pray and ask God for victory and good stuff and fun stuff in your life. And when God delivers that thing, those friends know how to celebrate with you correctly. Because they have context to your life. They know how to celebrate correctly. The flip side is this that if people are not there with you in the hard times to see you cry, to see you ask God for a miracle, if people are not close enough to you during those times, they don't know how to celebrate with you during those times. So you may wonder to yourself sometimes, why were they not happy with me? Well, ask yourself this question. Did I allow them close enough to me to watch me struggle through some of this hard stuff to know how great this victory is. Because sometimes we have a victory and there's no one there to share it with us, but people can't truly share victory with you unless they walk through the battle with you. So when we share our lives with others, they can celebrate really, really good with you. And here's the cool thing about a a really, really good friend is that really good friends can celebrate with you even with no words. It's just a look. Because you guys are just so close, the celebration comes and you give that look like, "Mm," you know, or that that slap on the butt, bam, "Mm," or that chest bump, boom. I'm I'm thinking of sports, okay? You know, I don't go slapping all my friends on the butt. But you, you, you just have that thing with each other because you don't need to say anything. And that one look that you give your friend, that moment of celebration, it says so much It says, friend, I am so proud of you. Friend, I have been praying with you. We have been praying together for this. And I celebrate with you. I praise God with you. He is awesome. This is so great. All that can happen with no words when you share a victory with a good friend. Here's another time to to, uh, 
Uh, everyone, another reason why everyone needs a friend, not just for the fun stuff, but for the hard stuff. The Bible says in Proverbs 18, 24, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Remember, Jesus said, this command I give to you, to love, love at all times, love each other at all times. And Jesus says that if you don't have reliable friends in your life, you will come to ruin. That's what this proverb says. It's powerful. So if you're struggling in life and there's places of your life that are coming to ruin, ask yourself a question. Do I have unreliable friends in my camp, in my circle of friends, in this area? Maybe, maybe your marriage is coming to ruin. Maybe the relationship with your adult children is coming to ruin. Maybe the relationship with your teens are coming to ruin. Maybe the relationship with your parents or your friends. Maybe there's, there's just something really difficult going on. And just ask yourself, do I have any reliable people surrounding me in this area of life? Because according to Scripture, if we don't surround ourselves with the reliable people, the Bible says we will come to ruin The Bible is so clear. Everyone needs a good friend for the good stuff and the hard stuff. How we get through the hard stuff in life is determined by the people we surround ourselves with. Proverbs 22 says this. It says, don't make friends with a hot-tempered person. Don't associate with anyone who is easily angered. Or you might learn their ways and yourself get ensnared. Look at the friends around you. Do you like how they react to adversity? Do you like how they react to hard stuff? If you don't, you may end up becoming like them in the way that they deal with adversity. Jacob shared some great things regarding that. Don't surround yourself with people who will antagonize negative behavior out of you. Um, Antagonize negative emotion out of you. If you have issues with your spouse or you have issues with your ex-spouse, or your parents, or your siblings, or your business partners, make sure that you're not getting advice from people who have the same issues as you, who are willing to jump on the bandwagon with you and entice your anger and rile you up and to get you to get all hot and bothered about something. How many of you know when your friends jump on the bandwagon with you, does it help you? Does it cool you down or does it entice your anger? My wife is so amazing at this. Recently, we had something coming up in our life and I shared some stuff with my wife and you know what? I, I did, she could have jumped on the bandwagon with me and she could have been like, yeah, baby, I'm gonna carry every one of your fences with you and I'm gonna raise the flag with you and together we're going to war. You know, she didn't do that. She didn't do that at all. She didn't raise one ill word. She just said, I'm sorry, babe. I'm sorry you feel that way. And you know what? That was so amazing because it didn't entice my anger. It helped keep me calm. It helped me refocus on what the Lord wants and how he could help us get through the situation. It might not be the way I want to get through it, but it's the way the Lord wants us to get through it. So surround yourself with people who don't entice your anger. No wonder why Jesus surrounded himself with the 12 disciples. I mean, he surrounded himself, and look at these weren't perfect guys, but he surrounded himself with people, and he became not just their Lord, not just their Savior, but their friend. You know, we all need friends to get us through tough stuff. My wife and I have some incredible, incredible friendships 
We've got, and, and I can sit here and, and list several of them, but there's uh, one group of friends, uh, Tangent Trimmel Orr. Uh, they have been there since nearly the beginning of my marriage. I knew him before I met my wife, and he's been there to celebrate so many things uh, in my life as I became a, a, a believer uh, in my uh, late teens. Uh, also, he was there to celebrate our marriage. We were there to celebrate his. And he popped out of the bushes when I asked my wife to marry, marry me. And he was shouting and hooping and hollering. He was, he was there to pray with us when, Eliana, when Krista gave birth to Eliana. He was there for so many incredible moments in our life and celebrated those. He was there just like many of you. And we decided to be foster parents. And, and he was there to pray with us through as, as we were looking for a family for our two boys and, and their brother who was with another foster family family. He was there with us when we cried like so many of you as they transitioned into a new family and found a forever home. They were there with us through the thick and thin. And you know what? It was God's design to put people like that around our life because a friend loves at all times. And that's one of the ways God channels his love to us is through friends. We were held up during that time. The next thing we notice about biblical friendship is how to be a friend. How to be a friend. By the way, how to be a friend is one of the keys to having friends. If you don't know how to be a friend, you probably won't have friends. Jesus tells us exactly how to be a friend in verse 13 of John 15. Now buckle your seatbelts because this gets like hot and heavy so fast, but we're going to back up. And here's, here's one of the things he says. His greater love has no one than this that he lays his life down for friends. Okay, now we're going to back up from that, and we're going to get to it a little bit. But we're going to take some baby steps into that. I want to remind us that friendships take a lot of time to get to that place. Friendships take a lot of effort to get to that place. And by the way, one of the things that I've noticed and I've learned in my young adult age and approaching middle age um, is that as young adults, it is so hard to find new friends. And, and, and it's almost talked about amongst every young adult or adult that I've been around and people in their 50s, especially if you move and you go somewhere new. But what we can't do is we can't expect in new friendships all of the things that we had in our old friendships. Why? We have different building blocks today. The friends that I built today were not there when I met my wife. They were not there to, to watch her diss me in the beginning. They were not there to watch her um, say no when I tried to offer her meatloaf surprise. They were, they were not there when she played hard to get. They were not there when, they, when we almost lost her when Eliana was born. They were not there in, in the beginnings of our foster journey. They weren't there in any of that. We have new building blocks to build on and a different friendship to build. So I can't go looking in new friendships for what I had in old friendships. They're going to be completely different. And here's how we go about doing this. So here's what Scripture says. We're going to go through what I'm going to, I'm going to call some common, common building blocks to being a friend. And, and by the way, we talk about some of these building blocks in our discipleship track because this is the foundation for all meaningful relationships. The first thing we need to do is find a common ground. Find a common ground. Every friendship is built with some kind of common ground, like motherhood, fatherhood, maybe being single or being married or, or a married couple with kids or a married couple without kids. Those are two different married couples. Or maybe it's being a parent of a special needs child. Or maybe it's being a blended family. I don't know what your common ground is. But all of those common grounds are things that help build new friendships. One of the most common common grounds that we have is actually Christ himself. 
The Bible says in Acts 4, 12, it says, salvation is found in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Jesus is the greatest common ground to all of us. He is like the, he's the equalizer. He sets the playing field straight. He is the commonality that we share with every human being on this planet because without him, none of us find life and life more abundantly. If we're gonna be friends with people, we need to learn to discover our common grounds and celebrate those. After we find a common ground, here's the next thing we're gonna do is earn the right to be heard. How do you do that? How do you earn the right to be heard? Because I don't know if you're anything like me, you think that you got a lot of great things to say. You think your opinion matters. You think, you think what God has given you could actually help somebody. That's a good thing. But nobody is going to listen to you until you've earned the right to be heard. So how do we do this? We show interest. We show interest with our ears. The Bible says in Psalms 116, 1 and 2, The psalmist said, I love the Lord. Why? Why do you love the Lord so much? Because he heard my voice. He heard not just my voice, but he heard me when I cried, when I cried for mercy. And when I cried for mercy, he didn't run away from the ugly in my life, from the hearts of my, he actually turned his ear to me. And he is so good at listening, I'm gonna call upon him all the days of my life. That's what the psalmist said. Here's what we can learn from the Lord. Learn to listen well. Learn to be a good listener. Some people are not very good at talking, so sometimes in a relationship, you begin to be just the talker all the time. But learn to listen well. Learn to ask a lot of questions. It helps somebody who doesn't know how to talk much. Ask questions and pause. And when they're done talking, pause more. For somebody like me, that's so hard. I'm a talker. Man, gosh, I, there's, I'm never short of a word. You want to sit down, boom, I can just go to talking. But I've had to learn to slow down, listen, ask questions. And when I ask a question, when they're done, I'm not jumping all over it. I try to chill. And I try to sit. And I try to pause. And I try to give that person some space to think a little more and, and ask another, and, and give some more feedback and give some more input. And you know what? Sometimes that time is a little awkward. Silence is awkward, don't, and, and, and we feel silence like all the time. But silence can be awkward. So this leads us right into the next one. Show our interest, not just with our ears, but with our silence. Give our silence to people. You know what's so amazing to me? Every time pastor gives me silence in our conversations and just listens, it's so amazing. The Lord begins to download on me everything that I needed to know, like boom, like that. When you give people silence, you allow them to hear the Lord speak to them because there's not a lot of silence in this world because left to ourselves, we, social media is speaking to us. We're letting the world speak to us. We're letting marketing speak to us and tell us how ugly we are or, or dang, she's ugly. I look better than her and tell us how good we are. We, we just let all these voices speak. But when we give people silence, we give the Lord a moment to speak to the heart of people. James says this, dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. And when we do that, we are slow to become angry. Human anger does not produce the righteous life that God desires. We want to earn the right to be heard. We also need to show interest with our time. Hey, Jesus was calculated with his time. He didn't give the same time to everyone. He gave most of his time to his friends. He gave a lot of his time to the 12, less time to the crowd. He gave more time to his top three disciples 
Peter, James, and John. And he gave more time to John than he did the other disciples. And each one of these groups were there to share different things with Jesus that others were not. John was such a good friend, in fact, that he was the only one of the disciples to be at the cross with Jesus when he was at one of his most difficult moments in life. The next relationship building block is this, it's to gain trust. How do we do that? How do we gain trust with somebody? Well, first of all, trust says this. Here's what trust says. Trust says, I know I can rely on you to care for me. I know I can rely on you to be patient with me when I struggle. And sometimes that means telling me the truth, even though it's going to really hurt. And sometimes that means being silent when I'm not ready for the truth. That's what trust says. There's a couple ways to gain trust. Here's how we can do that. There's a lot of ways, but I'm just going to give you two. One of them is by what we say. After somebody has opened their life and opened their heart and shared with us, what we say next is a huge building block in gaining trust. When we speak, it shows, here's the word I told you I made up, it shows our friend intelligence. Don't you wish some of your friends had a little friend intelligence? I mean, just intelligent, like, know that I'm venting right now. Like, don't hold me captive for every word that comes out of my mouth. Don't you need friends like that? And don't you need friends that when every word continues to come out of your mouth, week after week after week after week as a friend, they got for intelligence, for intelligence I can't even say the word that I made up, they got enough sense to say, hey, bub. Like, we've already talked about this. Like, we've been around this corner time and time and time and time again, right? You need a friend to know when to give you the truth and when to just let you vent a little bit. Why? Because when you build this kind of trust with somebody and you can begin to trust somebody with your words, your words begin to carry new weight for them. It's a very powerful thing. God gives you a new influence in your life that nobody else has in their life through friendship, through his love. You now become this stream of love from God to this individual through something called biblical friendship. What a huge responsibility. That's a big responsibility. This is the kind of friendship that the Bible's talking about. Here's another way we gain trust, by what we don't say. (laughs) I mean, how many know I can say a lot to you right now, but... Listen, if it's not going to help them in that moment, and if they're not in a good place to hear, look at saying the right thing at the wrong time is the wrong thing. Saying the, the right thing at the right time is the right thing. And you know when that time is. Trust says, my secret is safe with you. The Bible says in Proverbs eleven thirteen, a gossip betrays a confidence, but a trustworthy person keeps a secret. We earn the right to be heard. Our words begin to carry a lot of weight. We're gaining trust with people by what we don't say, by what we don't repeat to other people, by what we don't repeat to that one person that we repeat everything to. You all laugh because we all thought of that person that we repeat everything to. I did. Obviously, there's boundaries with this. There's there's huge boundaries with this, especially when it involves neglect or abuse of a child or someone who's elderly. No, you don't keep, you know, you don't promise to keep that thing confident. And if you think that person is expecting that, you can pause them because you know where they're going and say, hey, look, I think I know what you're about to tell me, but I got to let you know that I can't keep it secret. I can't. I love you too much. God loves people too much. We can't keep this one a secret.
how to be a friend. The last building block is this. When you, when you make it through the common ground and earn the right to be heard and you gain trust, the, the next building block is becoming emotionally significant. This, this one is so huge. Becoming emotionally significant for people. Why? Because Christ commands us to love at all times. He gives us friendships for this type of love. And when we build these kind of friendships, we become emotionally significant. How do we do that? Well, the Bible says, this was the hard thing in the beginning that I told you about. Verse 13, Jesus said, greater love has no one than this than he that lays his life down for a friend. Here's how we become emotionally significant in your notes, by our sacrifice. We become emotionally significant when we sacrifice for one another. Remember, you don't really sacrifice for buddies. You sacrifice for friends. If I engage with a friendship with you, I say, I'm going to sacrifice for you. I'm bringing you into my inner circle. I can only have so many in my inner circle, and you're there. I got some that, that were there from the beginning. And you know what I do? I sacrifice my time with them. I spend holidays with them that I might not with others because they're my friend. I sacrifice my family, and we spend time together. I sacrifice my money for them. I, I sacrifice my, my, I share my family with them. I, set, I trust my family with them. Sacrifice. Some of you are in C groups, and you're, you're wanting groups to fill these huge voids in your life, but people in your C group won't come meaningful to you until you begin to sacrifice for one another. We have some incredible groups. You know what our, what our best groups are? The closest groups are the ones who sacrifice together. The ones who bring their money together to celebrate somebody's marriage and get gifts for them and sacrifice money and sacrifice their busy, busy, busy weekend to have a baby shower for that family. And the ones who get together and, and say, hey, we collectively, we're not just gonna sacrifice for each other, but we're all gonna go sacrifice together during the holidays to bless another family. That's so cool. We're seeing our C groups do that. They're coming up with their own ideas on ways that they want to serve during the holidays, and they're doing that. By the way, one of the ways that uh, one of our families in our church is serving is they serve the Pythian Orphanage. It's in your bulletin. If anybody wants to be a part of, part of that, they can reach out to the email on there and go be a part of that incredible event. But when you sacrifice together, you grow close together. We become emotionally significant next with our words. Jesus said this. His words were so powerful in this short dialogue. His words, he said, you are my friends if you do what I command. No longer do I call you servants because a servant does not know what his master is doing. Jesus says to them, he says, I'm not leaving you on the outside anymore. As a matter of fact, I'm going to open transparency. Everything that my father says, I'm sharing with you. How many know your family secrets are very private and you only let people on the in, in, inside know what's going on with the family? And he says to you, he says, with his words, I'm bringing you on the inside. As a matter of fact, I'm not gonna be jealous when my, when my dad takes away some of my Christmas money and buys you a Christmas present. I'm not gonna be jealous when he shares the car with you. I'm not gonna be jealous when he calls you son. And he calls you daughter. I'm sharing everything with you. Our words are so powerful in our friendships. They build us and they call out God's identity in us. Our takeaway for today is this. Friendship is shown through sacrifice. Everyone needs a friend 
for life. Listen, biblical friendship is not about being buddies. It's about sacrificing for one another. You know what? It takes time to build that kind of friendship. Today, I want to ask you a question today. Do you need a friend? Are you, yeah. Are you, are you surrounded with some people who, who are not beneficial in your life? Do they, do they entice anger in particular areas of your life? Do you maybe need to bring some new people in your inner circle? Do you need, do you need to maybe do what Jacob did with wisdom and, and move away from some friendships? Not burning bridges, but keeping a bridge there, letting your friends know where you're at so that you can go back and cross that bridge and share Christ with them later? Do you need to bring some new people in your life? I want to tell you, first of all today, the first person that needs to be in your inner circle, if he is not, is Jesus Christ. He is the greatest friend you could ever have. And if you're walking on this earth and you are in desperate need of a friend and Jesus is not on the inside of your circle, I want to tell you that there is no friend on this planet that will fill the void in your heart for friendship like Jesus. He is the perfect Lord. He is the perfect Savior. He will provide better than any one of your friends. He will give you everything you need emotionally, physically, and spiritually in this life and in the next. In fact, the Bible says that without him, eternity is going to be miserable. It actually says a lot worse than that. It's life in hell without Jesus in eternity is not going to be any fun. But the great news is this, is that Jesus has been trying to be your friend for a long time. He's been knocking on your door. He's, he's had other people try to introduce you to him. Hey, meet my friend Jesus. And he sent that friend request. Sorry, that's so corny. He sent that friend request to you so many times. And he sent it again to you today. And in this moment, he's telling you, hey, I want to be your friend. I want to be your Lord. I want to be your Savior.